0: Thank <music> you.
1: So y'all can just kind of introduce yourselves, and we'll go from there.
2: Okay. Hi, um, my name is Wendy Rogers. I am a housewife, and my husband and I were missionaries in Chile for 25 years, and now we've been living back in back in the United States for two years. So. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And I'm Philip. I'm her husband, and let's see, I. A little back background about us? That was yeah, so background. Okay, give me all the... well, um, my parents were missionaries. My dad was from Perry County, Mississippi. My mom was from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Um, they were missionaries in South America for about 35 years. And I was born on the mission field in the country of Paraguay. Um, grew up in Paraguay and Chile. Surrendered to, um, got saved at a Christian school on furlough in Arkansas when I was about seven. And then my dad baptized me in a river in Chile. I was the first person who baptized when we started the new work there. Um, I surrendered my life to preach when I was about 15. Came back to the States, went to college, and there's where I met a young, a lovely young lady, um, Wendy Allen at that time, from Louisiana.
2: And I fell in love with him because I thought I was marrying someone that was like exotic. Strange and weird. that was going to take me travel around the whole world and I, I got some of that. I got the strange and exotic. And <laughs> <laughs> I did travel to a couple of other countries, but um, no, I didn't know he was surrendering. I, excuse me, I did know that he had surrendered to be a missionary, and um, I was willing to follow him um i had no idea of what missions was about i grew up in a, i was saved at a, a young age i think i was about um, six years old seven years old um, when i was asked the lord to be my savior um, grew up in a christian home. Um, my parents were very dedicated in the church but i had never um, I had been on one missions trip for seven days when I was in high school, but other than that, I really didn't have a concept of what full-time ministry and what doing missions was gonna be like um, till we moved to the mission field. And my very first plane trip was the day I got on a plane to fly away from my family and go to Chile. And we got on a 19-seater plane to fly from New Orleans to Miami, and we were in terrible turbulence, but because I had never been on a plane before, I thought it was all normal, and the plane was shaking and shuddering, and there was lightning and thunder around us, and I I had to... um, sit uh, not thunder I couldn't hear thunder but um anyway lightning I had to sit next to someone I didn't know and I was just sobbing because I thought I would never see my parents again alive that's just what I thought it was going to be like and the lady sitting next to me kept patting me and telling me honey it was going to be okay we were going to make it out alive um but I, I just I had to explain to her I wasn't afraid about the plane ride. I think I was (laughs) making her nervous. But anyway, that was my first plane ride when I headed off with my husband to the mission field. June of
0: 1994.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So I wanted to ask you, though, about um, were were you homeschooled in in
0: Paraguay? Uh, Yes, I was homeschooled out of my entire elementary and high school educational career, so to speak. I probably went to school in a classroom setting, a total of about two and a half years. So all, and not all at one time, split up. Part of first grade, uh, fifth grade, I think, and ninth grade. And this was all in Paraguay? Um, actually, this those were be, uh, we moved from Paraguay to Chile when I was eight, so I was like a second grader, but my times in school would be on furlough back in the state so if we would be settled in a city um for a few months on furlough then i'd go to school i went to school um part of my first grade in pine bluff arkansas a small christian school and fifth and ninth grade to two different schools in little rock arkansas small small christian schools other than that i was homeschooled. so that's why i'm strange and we're
1: did you get to be involved in the, the cultures you were around pretty pretty regularly, or were they like kind of sheltered?
0: No, um, we constantly had people in our home on the mission field. My parents; that was one very important part of their ministry was was just opening up the home for a meal, chatting, visiting. So we we have people in our home. I would say weekly, usually, maybe multiple times. Um, so we. We spoke English at home. We spoke Spanish with everybody else. And if we had obviously guests in the home who didn't speak English, we spoke Spanish. So yeah, we were very much involved in the parents' ministry. All
1: yeah. right. before I move to ask y'all about like what Chile was like and things like that, I just wanted to know like, did you, were there oddities that came with him? Like specific ones, like the cult, like cultures rubbed off on him that were odd to you before y'all got married?
2: um yes actually we i had a very hard time um, when we were first married Um, we worked two years two and a half years three years once we were married before we went to chile Um, we landed in 94 so we had been in chile so we worked two
0: years as college recruiters and then i did a couple of jobs and then we were on deputation about 15 months Correct.
2: and there were some things that i just didn't understand why he couldn't understand me or where I was coming from. And I think it was our, we had been in Chile maybe nine or 10 months and I was invited to go to a conference and the title of the conference was Third Culture Kids. And I went hoping that it would help me with the children that I was one day going to raise. Now
0: explain third culture a little bit. The concept is that whenever parents from one culture move to another culture, their kids are born in that culture. So those kids absorb part of the culture where they live and part of their parents' culture, two different cultures, and then combine them in a weird way and come up with their own third culture, which is neither their parents' culture nor the culture of the country they grew up in. So third culture kids.
2: So um, when I went to this conference and was sitting there listening to um, several of the speakers, it was just like little light bulbs just kept going off in my head. And I was like, this is what's wrong with Philip. (laughs) 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 And and, No, it wasn't wrong, but I I just felt like I understood him a little better, Um, you know, what kind of house maybe we lived in really wasn't important because he had to live in so many different houses in so many different circumstances all these years growing up um, in different countries under different circumstances, um, some better than others, some worse at, at times. Um, so, so that was so different for me than a person that had been born, raised, and only moved from one side of my grandparents' house to the other side when my parents built a house, you know. So so just little things like that. Um, um, The way um, they ate uh, was a little different. What he thought was really good, you know, was maybe a little strange to me, or not strange, but just not not things that I was used to, or, or, I, I don't know um, now I've been married to him so long I I don't know what's odd anymore I'm used to, used to him I've embraced the oddness <laughs> and, and he's had to embrace a lot of oddness with me too I grew up I was from a Cajun family so he thought that was a strange <laughs> strange mix yes dear
1: <laughs> so what kind of third culture do your kids have then what that like they
0: have like a fifth culture, fourth? Yeah I, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They've got their. They have their own own culture. Mm-hmm. But uh, that might be one thing that our kids tend to relate fairly well to a lot of people, and so maybe that has been a good thing where they can learn to connect with people that are different than them in many areas, and so so who knows that they've got their own fourth or fifth culture
1: problem. Mm-hmm. All right, so I guess we're gonna start talking about Chile then. Uh, I guess the, from the beginning to, till well, until y'all left. I don't know where y'all want to start. Um, I asked before about, like, I guess, culture, so I talk about the culture maybe. Uh, you grew up there, a good yeah. bit of it, so I guess
0: more so you would yeah. be different. Yeah, let's start with Wendy because she saw it through different eyes.
1: Yeah, so what was Chile, the first experience of, for, of Chile for you?
2: Uh, um, they're very kind people very very kind very open to foreigners and um, friendly they you know I would be out places and they of course when I first went I did not know any Spanish I knew hello goodbye and I believe that was it when I, I landed in Chile but as I started learning the language and if I would be out and about like at a grocery store or a little uh, shop um, they call them almacenes, to purchase like vegetables or bread uh, someone was always willing to help you or so very friendly very open um, I guess the only thing that one of the things I had to struggle with when I first got there um, was that they're very direct so um so if you're wondering what people are thinking about you they will they will tell you so they'll tell you if you've gained a little weight and if that looks good on you or if it doesn't and you ought to watch it so they're very direct and i'm from south louisiana so that's not something we do very often so at first that was hard to get rid of um hard to get used to but um but Some of those Cajun
0: matriarchs are pretty direct. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I guess but, but so. It, yeah. It's like Southern culture, correct, I correct. guess. Um, but I got used to it, and, and you just kind of... So when I came back to the States, that was, that was hard to not be as direct as I had learned to be over 25 years there. So direct, but kind, but just saying things that's on your mind. And not saying away from the person, just saying it to that person, so.
0: Yeah, we learned back here in the States, in the South, that when somebody starts a phrase with, bless his heart or her heart, we know, watch out. <laughs> it's coming.
1: So even even in Chile, are they like diverse? Like are the people more diverse like by area or, uh, or is it? Or people think pretty much the same, I guess. Like 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 with in the cities here right. you know, versus somebody that lives in a rural area, they think there's pretty different values yeah. and things like that. Is that there are, there?
0: but I don't think they're as noticeable like between, let's say, rural Mississippi and New York City because the entire population of Chile is 17 million. Mm-hmm. About a third of that lives in the capital city. So one thing that we noticed that a, an idea could take hold real quickly throughout the country as far as what we would term progressive values, um, uh, catch them much faster there than even in the States. Whereas in the States, we have pockets of areas that believe one way, or think, and so across a nation of 300 million, there is more diversity than a nation of 17. And so the capital city being by far the largest city, everything kind of flowed out from there. So. Whatever was on TV or the politicians were talking about would travel the country pretty pretty quickly. And uh, Chileans are tend to be well informed people.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely, um,
0: they know what's going yes. on in their country and around the world. I mean, they they, they might know more about U.S. politics than some Americans because um, being a smaller country, they are obviously dependent upon the outside world more than maybe Americans. Sometimes are maybe more insulated in that sense. So, and
2: mm-hmm. with the with the Internet and how everyone is connected, social media, that plays a huge role. They are very informed. Even the youth is very up-to-date on things that are And the youth and children are
0: watching the same movies and listening to the same songs that American teenagers Um, are typically too. So so
2: very, very up-to-date on what is trending or whatever, you know.
1: So why is there a reliance on beer countries Mm.
0: because whatever uh, like the u.s does affects the entire world i think we americans maybe don't realize that so we are the i mean we are the country that leads the world economically socially i mean trends that whatever hollywood says is trendy is trendy around the world you know and i don't think we realize um sometimes that influence, and to quote a great theologian named Spider-Man's uncle, I just <laughs> forgot his name, but he said, with great power comes great responsibility. Um, I can't remember, what Spider-Man's uncle's name, Jonathan? Uh, the guy that ben? died?
2: Yeah, Uncle ben. ben. Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben.
0: So, and so being the nation's, we're not the nation's biggest country, but we are the most influence, I mean, the, we aren't the world's, biggest country but we're all the world's most influential so the eyes of the world are on us right now even with this election situation I mean people around the world are staring at us trying to figure out what's going on so.
2: and and often you know um living away from the state so long often you could see that there is a love hate relationship that sometimes foreigners have with the states you know they they sometimes Uh, don't like our policy, political policies, and things that are decided, but yet they love um, name brands that come out of the States, like, I don't know, Nike, I'm sure, I don't even know if Nike's a good thing, you know, a trending thing right now, but Nike or North Face or whatever it is that's in, that everybody likes, at the moment in the states apple um but then they love those things and love some of the cultural things but then
0: we're often perceived as a bully too yeah and so so people still most immigrants in the world if i was reading today i think or yesterday in the book that when people say what country would they like to go to i think if I'm not mistaken, it's 21% around the world say the US. Germany's the far distant second, only at only six percent. So to this day, I mean we are the destination of people around the world that are looking for freedom and hope and opportunity too. So it's it's weird. People people I think Phil, have definitely mixed emotions about those things. Huh? Yeah.
1: So so American culture is what I, I get I don't I get nothing. So yeah what I was told was that there's, there's an experience, I guess, that comes with being in the States. And I, like I told y'all, my other friend I talked to him about yeah. it, he said that it was about economy for him. So correct, he was, his economy where he lives is not that great. So the, con- being, the coming back here one day would be awesome because you can do janitor work or you can be a plumber or whatever and you can still make a good living and have a house and get food on the table, you know, mm-hmm. and even take care of a family if you really wanted to. Um, so I guess I just don't, but I'm like I said, I guess one of those ignorant Americans, so I don't understand, you know, I see all the beauty in other countries mm-hmm. and I, I know there's like some bad things that happen there, but I guess it's still strange to me to want to leave somewhere you grew up, I guess. you know. Correct. So I guess I don't understand the experience. Um, so I guess you'd be able to explain that a bit more probably than you, I guess. Um,
0: yeah. Um, I think the, the word I would come to mind is opportunities the US when you when people say you can grow up and be anything you want to be I think that's exaggerated we can't always grow up to be whatever we want to be however if you do talk to many immigrants even in the States right now I get a chance to talk to they see opportunities that many Americans don't see Mm -hmm. Um, they are used to living with less and so they are able to be more thrifty. And to me, it's interesting, you know, just here we have people maybe that make a lot less than an American might. And yet they have seem to have more financial freedom. They can um, even like, when they're going to buy a vehicle or whatever, oftentimes they have more financial freedom because they've learned how to live with less. And, um, and they just see opportunities. Like I said, I'm not a businessman or anything, so I may not explain it well, but I, I'm in the process right now of trying to help somebody, move from Chile to the States and do some kind of help them with paperwork and they just see that over and over that the state just has so many opportunities if you do a good job in a certain area there are people that will come whereas to, to, to buy your services or products whereas in many countries I mean you are locked in whatever you were born in if your parents were, were very poor if they could scrape together and send you to college you might have a little bit better job but then, But if you were born into a poor family, it was likely you were gonna die a poor family. However, if you were born into one of the rich families of the country, then you're gonna be rich. So one thing we did see in Chile, there wasn't a lot of migration across classes in that sense, whereas um, the population may not be as ethnically diverse in Chile as it is here, but the classes tend to be very well defined that the poor are here, the rich are here. The middle class is growing in Chile, so that's a good thing because any country with a strong middle class tends to progress more than a country with a very strong wealthy class or strong poor class. But I, I know that's, I'm not really answering your question like you want it to be, but just people come to the States and they just see, I mean, they walk into grocery stores where, I mean, you can buy, you can go to a corner market or or just anything and just a variety of products in one small space, whereas you can go to mega markets in another country, and they have a lot of products, but not a lot of variety. They may have two whole aisles of just the same thing, mm-hmm. whereas I mean the U.S. has just so many things going on; <laughs> it's just crazy. Go and and, many and, areas. It,
2: and it is not just opportunity; it's experience because it's this too, because though let's say that they were born to a poor family in their country. And they could come to the states and work two jobs let's say at a restaurant or you know a mechanic shop and save their money and they could travel to new york city and experience new york city for a weekend and then travel to california and experience california and then maybe they could save money and fly to europe and experience some site in Europe for a little while and come back and work. So, but living in their country and the circumstances they were born in, they would, it didn't matter how many jobs, you know, they would work. They would never be able to have that experience, um, save up enough or work to better. So I think it's both, it's opportunity It's experience, it's learning a different culture. You hear that a lot, you know, why would you like to go to the States when you ask? And they're like, what experience, a new culture, a different food, totally be immersed in a different language. Um, So I I think it's like a package deal.
0: Hmm. And in one sense, it's kind of like our four parents. I mean, why did why did people go west? You know, in hardship, knowing, leaving behind, knowing that they may never see their family again or whatever. But it was for more opportunities for themselves, their children, and their grandchildren. So, you know, why would somebody leave everything they know, their culture, their language, their family, and land in a totally foreign place? Well, it's for a new future for for them, uh, their their descendants. So, anyway. Well, is that okay, Mr. Bird? Yeah, that, that was good. good. Yeah. I think
1: I took that as a very good answer. <laughs> um, I just—I I guess I don't think about it much. Um, I always want to travel to other places. Yeah, I don't really yeah. think about. You know, and, and, and you're here. right.
0: And, and there are beautiful places. I mean, Chile, uh, Chile, geographically, is a beautiful country. It's to be such a fairly small because I mean, Chile's long and narrow, as you well know. If you took Chile and laid it sideways, it would go from New York City to Los Angeles. But it only averages about 126 miles wide. But in that length, it has a variety of climates and geographies. Um, Northern Chile has the Atacama Desert, driest place on Earth. Wow. Some places. I want to see a desert. Yeah. Go to Chile, northern Chile. In some places, it hasn't rained in hundreds of years.
2: They have a valley there in northern Chile that is. uh, The Valley of the Moon. Yeah, as on Earth as close as you could get to the. What the moon might be like. So I've we, never been there. We've never been, been there. there, but we've seen I've pictures. I've seen of it. pictures. I would like. I've been in the Atacama Desert, just yeah. not that part.
0: And then you could travel several thousand miles south, and Southern Chile has one of the highest rates of precipitation in the world, between rain and snow. And so we have the Andes Mountains, we have lakes and rivers and volcanoes and ocean. So it's a very beautiful country. Yes, yeah.
2: the lake region in Chile is my absolute favorite. Um, Park to visit I would love to go back and visit um, we I think we would take vacations to southern Chile every two a- no that's not over here so okay. okay
1: start back over a little bit where
2: where at?
0: volcanoes and <laughs> <laughs> so um, so anyway Chile Chile has 15% of the world's active volcanoes and anytime you have volcanoes uh, volcanoes and seismic activity earthquakes are connected and hot springs. So Southern Chile has a lot of, um, we they might, I don't know if we'd call them resorts, but are resorts, some are very rustic, but yeah. build up and they will harness thermal water and you can sit and watch the rain or snow fall down and sit and sweat in these thermal baths. And it's very, yeah. very unique, we enjoyed that. It,
2: it, it was, um, they would have like these little The resorts kind of would be like more cabin style, um, but a little bit more rustic maybe than you'd find in the States, but just gorgeous, gorgeous surroundings. Um, I remember one time when my parents came to visit, we took them down south to this area and they were sitting in a hot thermal and the river runs right on side of it, which is freezing cold water, and you're looking up and you're surrounded by mountains and you're hearing the water rush and the birds and seeing the steam rise up off the mountains. There were snow on the ground. And my mom was like, this is just incredible. It's almost surreal. It is so beautiful. So I love Southern Chile. The lake region is yeah. what they call that.
0: And the thing is too, we weren't in Chile. We lived there you know, many years. So we weren't there as tourists. So right. you see a place through new eyes at first, then you become accustomed because you're there for a different reason and so we were there obviously we enjoyed the natural beauty but um, we were there to uh, share the gospel and so you know when when i remember we moved into our first rent house in chile you could look out the back window and see the mountains i said i'm and i thought to myself i'm gonna stare at these mountains every day and then after my wife probably i did my wife is more in touch with those things than i am i don't have a an eye for beauty like she does. But after a while you you see these mountains that are four miles high and you just don't notice them anymore. <laughs> they're there, always in the background. If you ever get lost in Chile and you wanna know which way is east, look for the mountains, they're always on your east so you can orient yourself. So, yeah.
2: so you don't have an eye for beauty? Except what is for that? you, baby. Oh, okay, <laughs> I, was, I was being so worried. That's so sweet. <laughs> uh, um, I did
1: wanna ask y'all though, uh, on the way here I was thinking about it, why did y'all decide to take the route y'all did to get to Chile instead of like going through the IMB or something like that? Or is it this IMB, right? Yeah, correct, correct. So why did y'all choose the route y'all chose instead
0: of using IMB or something? Um, I guess I just kind of followed my parents' footsteps. That's the route they had taken. they, uh, throughout their ministry, a number, I'm not saying it's the only way or the best way necessarily, so. But it has pros and cons. So I will try to lay out both. The cons are, we were, when you're supported, and how, okay, people listening don't know, we were, we were voluntarily supported by individuals, mostly churches, but some individuals that would send in monthly or quarterly or yearly offerings um, to our home church back in the States. We had three different home churches over our time in Chile, and then, um, that would be deposited into a bank account we had here in the States. And I found a, a couple places in Chile I could write an American check. And that was hard to find it for a while. And I'd write a check on my bank account in the States, and they would give me the equivalent in Chilean pesos or whatever that would be. So um, for, the, for most of our time in the mission field, our, our support varied monthly, often greatly so they got the point you kind of generally would decide that sometimes a church that maybe supported you for 10 or 15 years would just stop sending you checks and sometimes no explanation sometimes they get a new pastor and the new pastor had a different vision about mission so you just stop sending and so i think a lot of churches didn't not all of them in fact not the majority but i'd say the majority of our churches took it really seriously but a few just they didn't see us part of like our salary like if one day you're working at a job all of a sudden your your owner decides to withhold 20 percent of your paycheck for whatever without, without no explanation so so that was um maybe one of the difficult areas the the pros one of them was be that we were be back in churches some of the same churches um every few years on furlough for Twenty years, and they knew us. They'd seen our kids grow up from time to time. They knew our anniversaries and birthdays, and we would get uh, sometimes Christmas boxes or things like that. And so these were people that we weren't just some missionary unknown faceless that they sent money to through nature. We were actually people that they were invested in, and, that and was they a,
2: knew about the yeah, work. They correct. knew. They knew by what, name. They, they knew that people with. that that we were praying for for salvation they knew they knew about um the chilean pastor when he you know quit his job and he had a family and he took a huge step, step of faith and quit his job to go to seminary i mean and they prayed with us about you know his family and and difficulties that would arise in the work or our family we um that is a huge pro of being supported I'm, by churches. They were involved in our lives, and and you needed that on the mission field because. Are you gonna cry, Miss? Well, I'm trying not to. Um, you you needed that because, you know, you pack up and you leave. Um, we were there before, uh, in a, before such instant. Um, communication, you know, we went when faxes were in, so that was a long time ago. And we called home once a month because a phone call that lasted 15 minutes to the States was $40 and that was food off of our table to do that. So, so, um, in the beginning when you pack up and you went to the mission field, um, There were times you just wondered if people remembered you besides your family that you left in the States. Um, And if you were important or, I mean, important to them as far as relationships go. And boy, when you would get a card in the mail saying, you know, Dearborn Baptist Church was praying for you today and these five ladies signed it it was impacting you know or you felt like wow that is just what i needed to keep going so that was important that was a big pro
0: and so at times we would visit churches that would send all their money to some agency somewhere and and we would be the first missionary some people had ever met and to me that was so weird because we were in other churches that supported dozens of missionaries and I know all my all names so the once again the, the pro would be your finances are more organized and you know exactly where you stand and, and you might have retirement and insurance and things like that on the one hand through a mission agency and on the other hand would be just that personal contact of people that that you came back and, and they became your friends even though you saw them every five years or whatever <laughs> so that was good
1: I have some friends that are about to go <clears throat> overseas in a pretty dangerous area, and they're doing it through the IMB. Yeah. And so I guess I, I didn't think about the, the disconnect and disconnect in um, personal relationships, I guess, through the churches, because they're going over and they're going to be in secret. They're getting new identities, all this stuff. and um, The stability in my mind was like, well, that sounds nice, though. You're getting some decent stability, and that's what made me think about y'all. It seemed like y'all wouldn't mm-hmm. have... Right, like we would have the logistical yeah. support, like mm-hmm. they would. Yeah. But I didn't think about the relationship part. I'm sure that would make help to some degree. Like mm-hmm. for them, they're just gonna be just them two yeah. on mission field and somewhere dangerous that they're not gonna know anybody. And so I, I didn't, I didn't think about the um, personal relationship part, mm-hmm. so that they're not gonna have. Yeah. Um, so I guess I want obviously I want to talk about your work in Chile. Uh, so I guess how faith there, like religion. Was there like a set religion, you know, was it Christianity? Was it something else? Was it like a weird version of Mm -hmm. something or a mixture of a bunch of things?
0: Um, All of the above. (laughs) Uh, Chilean culture is still predominantly Roman Catholic. The vast majority of Latin American countries are because they were colonized by Spain, a Roman Catholic country. I think to this day, I probably am a little off, but about 70% of the population claims to be Roman Catholic, but um, we would call many of those just cultural or or nominal. They're not active. Um, Wendy and I many times would ask somebody, I mean, they'll see two Americans there, I want to know what we're doing there. So we'd start talking about it. And then I'd ask them, well, what church do you go to? And I don't know how many times we'd get the answer, Soy católico a mi manera, and that means I'm a Catholic in my own way, and so that means they would rarely go to confess themselves or go to mass or whatever.
2: Go for Easter or Christmas or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe well, even Mother's
0: Day
1: is really big here.
0: Yeah, so not, no, not there. In fact, Mother's That's Day is the church. Mother's Day is even faithful church members in Chile typically. Do, that's why Sunday they skip church to go be with their mama yeah. <laughs> somewhere else. Kurt.
2: Especially if you yeah. lived in the city because it was like a hour drive or an hour mm-hmm. and a half across the city. So they would leave early to beat the traffic and go spend the whole day with their mothers and mm-hmm. cook or bring food and cake. and. Mm-hmm.
0: So. And um, There's mm-hmm. a growing segment of, of there's a large uh, Protestant a growing movement, I'd say. Much of the largest segment would be Pentecostalism. Um, the the largest, I think, the largest non-Catholic denomination in Chile would be Methodist Pentecostals. i never heard of those anywhere else except in Chile. But it, they're mostly Pente- more more Pentecostal than Methodist, I would say. Um, a lot, a growing number of atheists and agnostics. Some of our closest friends to this day in Chile would be atheists. Um, our, our son-in-law's dad, when we met him in Chile in the 90s, was an atheist, and the Lord saved him and became one of the uh, most key people in our work there um, in Chile. So, But a lot of people are profess to be, like I said, or outright atheists or agnostics. Mormons are very strong in Chile, Jehovah's Witnesses, and then a variety of other things. So... Mm-hmm.
2: A lot of um, New Age movement, yeah. that, and, and that depended on where you lived in the country. Um, you go up to maybe a town that might be up in the foothill, closer to the mountains, higher up, and a lot of New Age um, mysticism.
0: Get in touch with Mother Nature and all yeah. that stuff. Uh, yeah. that,
2: that's very, very common. Very common.
1: So, let's see. Um, it, so, I'm trying to think how to say this. When, when people did come to Christ there, would they would they hold on to it tighter than you maybe see people in the States? Is um, faith, I guess in, in, in your field, was faith taken super seriously if they did make that decision? Or, or, or could it be like maybe somebody did it out of fear or something like that? Or, or, or like I said, was it just something like if they decided you know, they're going to make, right.
2: You
1: make, right. make that decision. Yeah. Was
0: right. it? Um, I'd say it depended because at certain times in the ministry. We saw that we saw that when somebody would make the commitment to follow Christ, it was a big break with their family, their culture. And so, um, and traditional, and traditional religion, correct. religion. So it was not a simple thing. Um, especially for the first generation Christians. But then one thing we did notice that some of the young people that grew up in the church over time, um, they might take some of that not more for granted than their parents had who had been saved. They were The parents may be first generation Christians and the kids weren't. One thing that we did notice a lot, because we worked in, a, in the big city of Santiago in a middle class area. And, and um, I often said, I th- think we dealt I think we dealt with a lot of the same things that maybe American middle-class pastors would deal with because materialism I think is so deadly to the gospel mm-hmm. so as a culture becomes more affluent um, then God becomes increasingly re- religion in general but God becomes kind of not as important and so Chile is at least when we were there is one of the most advanced countries in South America economic, economically in it and it progressed a lot and, 20 plus years we lived there, so we did notice from the beginning of our time until the end that um, as people had their smartphones and they more and more people had cars and everything like that, materialism is such a deadly sin. For it's you know God I don't think mistakenly said that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So so any culture that starts loving materialism is going to become hardened. so, we, so it's a fight we had mm-hmm. in the area we work in.
2: And another thing too, um, I, um, uh, the Chilean culture is a lot more emotional, I guess. And they're very expressive people with their emotions. They don't hide their emotions a lot. And so sometimes you would see some people make emotional decisions. For, to follow the the gospel or or Christ and um, and and those you you saw you know drift away a lot easier um, and and I and I think it that was just a cultural thing maybe mm-hmm. it was just an emo, an emotional moment so but that that wasn't um, a large majority, but I did, but I did see that it played a factor in the work. So.
0: But one thing that we see now from a distance, and people we still have in touch, we are still in touch with, that the the role of foreign missionaries in Chile is decreasing because the Lord has raised up a good number of solid national pastors and and youth and this. Um, that are growing and are just serious about theology, about things. So, in that sense, that we're very encouraged
2: and have a God yeah, and that. have a passion yeah. for the Lord and and want to share that and and not just and and they don't just want to survive in the Christian faith or they don't just think it's a thing to do, you know, or what's expected or what's culturally accepted because i mean that that is one thing that's very different than living in southern mississippi it, it's a i think uh, going to church on sunday is like culturally accepted here it's the thing to do whereas in chile it's not i mean it's, it's a, not it's a
0: decision you it's a it's conscious. a just
2: yeah exactly and you have to be dedicated especially if you're the only christian you know, a born-again follower of Jesus Christ Christian and your family, it, and you are the one deciding that you're going to church and you're going to study the Word of God and you want to join a discipleship group and, and you're going to be baptized and what will your family think of you and what will your friends. So, so I do see that, especially within um, a first-generation youth, or college age, um, or young adult, becomes a Christian that they do follow with a seriousness.
0: Well, one thing that encourages us here in the states is, uh, you know, being around our our sons' friends, people like you, Jonathan, yeah. and other people and young people at church that we've been attending. That we see that yes. that these are maybe people that are breaking with cultural christianity and so mm-hmm. so some people are going to break with cultural christianity and just go totally secular um, and the others are going to break with it and become a, you know a passionate impassioned for christ and so that that's good i see i see the word as we drift towards secularism or not drift as we speed towards secularism here in the states i see some good things happening because it I think the wheat and the chaff are being separated, and that's a good thing because for years I've been hearing people that I think that are more thoughtful about these things than I am, and saying that our churches are going to be smaller, but healthier probably in the near future.
2: Because, and yeah. as an adult, to me, it's exciting to be around um, young adults, like a, like a Live, like our son, his friends, our and
0: our guests who are, watch here for weeks <laughs> or
2: months. Um, anyway, um, it, it's exciting to us. It stirs my soul. Um, it encourages me to
0: motivates us
2: exactly because I mean you. There are times you just um, become stagnant or. Um, get stuck in the same routine and then having this young people surround you with questions and ideas and they want to talk about their ideas and they want to hear someone else's ideas. And, well, can you prove what you believe or well, this is what I think? I, that that's encourages me. And I think we're all... You know, we all need that. That's why community, Christian community, is so important, and um, that's why fellowship with believers is important. and And we are to stir one another to good works and love. So, so when you're
1: talking about, it, it maybe think about this. I, I didn't grow up in church, you know. And, and I see the the when you were talking about, like in the South, it does seem like super culturally accepted to go to church. Like when I first became a Christian, and you know, and I'd be around other people, you know, we'd start talking about Christianity or whatever, and they'd be like, "Yeah, I'm a Christian. I've gone. I, I go to church." Usually, like right. equivalent. If, if you go to church, it was equivalent to being a Christian, and that like mm-hmm. slowly started seeming even more strange to me, like getting to talk to people. So I, I mean, y'all kind of answered the other question I had, like with generational ties. I guess there. Um, y'all talked about how uh, they were culturally Catholic, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, but did y'all see? Did y'all see that kind of happening with like some of the with, the with the adults that started having kids, and those kids grew up in the new, the new church or whatever there? Did you start seeing like those kids doing the same things that maybe be happening here?
0: Right. Yeah. And that's why I think it's a lesson to us as parents: kids don't become don't just absorb christianity they have to be taught they have to be modeled. and so uh, i think that, yeah I mean, my mind's kind of it's whenever you listen to this podcast you need to know that it's nine o'clock at night where we're recording it and our, my brain's fried okay? well let's, let's talk about how you
1: right. did it with your kids then okay. how did how did you um keep them from just absorbing it yeah. i guess how, how did they take ownership
0: i guess in their faith I don't, I don't know Jonathan um, I guess we just cause we were far from the ideal home in many ways but I think one thing that Wendy and I tried to do right is that we tried to be honest whenever our kids saw us sin or fight or not be the people at home we were at church on Sundays. try to be honest and the Christian life isn't about a pretend perfection it's about center being the savior and so um even to this day we try our kids are both grown we're grandparents now etc <laughs> but um i think honestly we talk about things we wrestle through stuff together wendy's was a really important part in that because i'm i'm the kind of guy that i don't need to talk about everything well wendy does as he needs to talk about it often endlessly from all different perspectives and so in that sense she would draw things out in the family from our kids that maybe would have lined would have, would have um, lane, lane, would have been dormant otherwise and so a lot of the communication i think we have with our kids is is the fact that wendy that was important to Wendy, and the lord used that time well
2: i think it's i think it was uh, key component I guess um, like Philip said being honest with our children when they saw saw us do wrong act wrong react wrong say wrong things um, so admit that but also that they saw us try when we repent it to to, change our our behavior and grow Um, not because I guess we had to but because we I mean it is a desire to please the Lord you know and and, um, we do it imperfectly and we do it um, struggling sometimes but it is a desire of my heart to please the Lord and I think and we, and we, and we, and we yes. do believe
0: in the Lordship of Christ. I mean, it's not just a theory. We may practice it imperfectly in our home, on the job, wherever. It may not shine through. But we do believe these things. It's not something we just say and then we take it off on Sundays. And so what you truly do believe will come through in one way or another. And so I think parents need to be intentional though, in teaching their kids. They need to live in front of them. And when they fail, they need to be honest and say, I need a Redeemer just like you do. Um, teach. Our kids don't depend on the church to teach my kids.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If, if my kids aren't learning about the Christian life, it's not the church's fault. Now, some churches aren't teaching, and, and I hate that. And, and with my brief stint as a pastor here in the States, I wanted the church to complement what hopefully the parents were doing at home. But um, I, I I don't think Wendy and I ever believed it was somebody else's job to raise our kids. Not the school's job because we homeschooled or Wendy homeschooled. It wasn't the church's job because I was the pastor. So so in that sense that we, we believe we were responsible for our children. And, and I wish and so I, anyway, anyway so if my kids are not being taught, we can't make our children follow Christ. People do not follow Christ. You can't be dragged and kicking and screaming into the kingdom, but you can be taught about him. And so if our kids are ignorant about God's word and Christ and theology and Christian life, then I don't know, it's our fault. Now what they do with that is once again, it's a decision they're gonna have to have between them and the Lord.
2: Um, one thing that was very present in my mind when we, when I first met Philip and we got married, and we visited many churches in, in in the States before we went to Chile as missionaries. We met a lot of um, uh, pastors, pastors' families, um, pastors' children that had grown up and he had known them as he was growing up. And then we'd connect with them, you know, married and meet their married families and, and Many, I won't say all, but many of them, a large group, really did not want to have anything to do with the church, with their parents, or with God. And that just grieved me. And I, and that was, a, I guess, a fear of mine, that when I had children, I wanted them to love the Lord. And so one of the things, um, parables, parables, that really stood out in my mind was um, the, one of the verses in this parable says, um, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And I, I thought about that, but in terms of my children, what would it profit us to be missionaries in a foreign country and yet have my children grow up and turn their backs on on the Lord? You know, on, on everything that we were believed in. And so my prayer even before we ever had children was when we had children, if the Lord would, you know, if all of our ministry only involved that our two children came to know the Lord as their Savior and pursued Him with their hearts and their lives as adults, then to me, that was worth being a missionary for. Um, I'm sorry, I'm so emotional. (laughs) Um, And so all throughout raising our children, that verse has always been in my mind. And sometimes I would just pray it, you know, and I still do. Um, My children are not perfect. (laughs) And they have imperfect parents. But it is a desire of mine to, no matter what path they choose, whatever it is um, that they work at or their profession, whether it be business or teacher or, you know, dump truck driver, it doesn't matter to me as long as they are pursuing to exalt Christ in that and, and share that with others.
1: Amen. alright well last remarks and we'll be done uh, plus y'all have to do a plug I'll tell you what that is if you don't know what I mean by that um, last remarks so I wanted to ask y'all because I think y'all say some really good things about marriage so obviously I want to ask y'all about marriage before <laughs> before we finish
2: oh my word Jonathan it's very late Well, you don't have
1: to <laughs> just give me the you can give me the short version y'all have done the short version with me before mm-hmm. so I know you can do it
2: mm. so
0: um, promise let's start with Miss Wendy go ahead
2: oh wow um so we've been married 30 years, which I cannot believe. Um, I, I feel it's been rough. <laughs> <laughs> well for a long time. We did have some very rough years, and we still uh, have rough days. Yeah,
0: I mean it's not like we got over all. From home, but... but
2: we had rough years, <laughs> many days all at once <laughs> when we were first married. Um, but our first. How many ten years maybe were extremely difficult.
0: Well, more, yeah. Anyway, and, but we had. It's not like every day was bad, but it was. We had lots of rough days. Yeah. Um, For many years.
2: Uh, my mom said that I I was headstrong and Philip was headstrong, and you put two headstrong people together, and and it it could be rough. But um, anyway, I think my I, I went into marriage with a lot of expectations and expectations that I wanted fulfilled or what I thought, how I thought things should be or were going to be. And I think when I learned to not have expectations.
0: Expect the worst.
2: No, <laughs> not expect anything. And um, oh, it's a series of things really, but um but that 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 was a big turning point for me when i quit expecting so much and just learned to Good. accept some things and love and i i think our, our marriage at least for me it started to improve i, I don't know about philip
0: yeah so i guess it's hard to nail down to one thing but if you ever marry somebody and see them as a project that's probably not a good way to start off and so i probably saw things in her that i didn't care for and vice versa and that can get old real quick if you're that person thinks you're just constantly trying to hammer whatever but i think one thing we did have in favor throughout this divorce was never an option I'm not saying we never more we angry said I wish I could divorce you or whatever I mean, I'm not saying that never was said but I don't think it was said that much if ever really um, it was said maybe but you got on one hand I'd say probably
2: maybe I thought it a little but, bit more than I said yeah. it in the beginning.
0: <laughs> but but we did believe that marriage is the Bible once again back to Christianity the Bible does says till death do us part we did believe that. And even like we jokingly said that at times we wanted to kill each other, but it wouldn't <laughs> be until death to us part. But there does come a point, I think, if, you're, if you want to grow in as a Christian, that you don't just want to grit it out with that person to the bitter end, but you actually start, you know, enjoying seeing that person in a different light, talking, listening to their criticisms, enjoying life. And, uh, and I, uh, this whole idea, I think, of... The Western world's bought into a romantic love has been definitely has not helped our marriages at all but especially when you see these famous people that I mean I I, I just was shocked how many times this, this is really the love of life? this is the one I mean I've been through 30 others but I have found the love of my life now and then you know that in a few months it's not gonna be and so the whole idea of, of what love is is love is a commitment love is to seek the best of the other person. It doesn't mean you're always gonna feel butterflies and romance and whatever, all that stuff, which I could use more of according to my wife. <laughs> but it's a commitment. It's to say we're, we're in this for the long haul and we're gonna grow and we're gonna love each other and help and, and I look, I, I know, and, and that's one thing I can say without any reservation, I know I am a better man because I'm married to Wendy Rogers. And that's a, I think that's a, one of the greatest compliments a man can give a woman. That, oh. uh, um, and the other day we were out walking around our little circle here in the neighborhood, and, and, and Wendy's full of ideas. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it dizzies me, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but she always has an idea and an opinion about everything. And when they we're walking, she's talking. i like, I just this is just an amazing woman. I've been married to her thirty years, and like I'm just sometimes noticing her for the first time. I think it's so. Mm-hmm. So it's good. Uh, we're oh, enjoying our marriage right now more than we ever have. That, yes. That, that we can both say that without any reservation. That
2: whatsoever. is. And just simple things. Simple things. I, uh, getting, on
0: the, getting up in the morning. And drinking
2: coffee. coffee. I mean, he makes my coffee for me, and we sit there and we visit, and we play a game of, or a half a game or a couple of moves of Scrabble every morning together. On our phones. On our phones. Yeah, <laughs> we teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> we enjoy that. And just being with each other in company, um, so, uh, saying that Philip repeats all the time, privately, publicly, with friends, just between the two of us. Um, um, I believe it's from the catechism. You probably could correct me because I'm drawing a blank right now of what, where, you, where the document that it's from, but it's um, what is the chief end of man to um
0: glorify I, god
2: and enjoy, enjoy him, forever. him forever and i i think if we do that i, I that's often in my mind and and that's what i want to do in my marriage too I, we're together i want to enjoy each other and as we enjoy each other we reflect christ so that's what i I'm and i enjoy being with this man he's a very good leader of our home um, he tries to. He's very vigilant. I was thinking, of, trying to think of an English word. He is very vigilant for our spiritual well-being. Very concerned about that. Always asking us questions. Sometimes makes me squirm the way he asks us questions. But he is concerned about us, and and he. He loves our family and takes care of us, and he is very trustworthy. and And so one of the things that most impact me about his life um, is that who he is Sunday morning in the pulpit is exactly who I have Sunday. I mean, Monday through Saturday at home, and and he is real and sometimes I think that's where our biggest conflict was because I wasn't as real as he is or as hotly pursuing the Lord and he has taught me that and brought me alongside of him and that has impacted my life and I am forever grateful to him.
1: So. That was good. I like, at least I like this stuff. Um, <laughs> I'll let you do your plug first since she's let her <laughs> come up with it. Tell also them about where they should buy their cars and things like that. What You <laughs> <laughs> You get to do your little sales pitch right now. This okay. is the end. I've let everybody do it so far. Renaud right. was trying to get a job. He was like, I'm a hard worker. <laughs> okay. <So, laughs> Do you a little sales pitcher, who you are, what you do
0: Okay, well, since March of this year, I almost exactly nine months ago, I've been working at Toyota of Hattiesburg. Once again, if you'd asked me 10 months ago, do you see this in your future? Probably not, but the Lord um, directs our steps as he sees fit. So I'm working at Toyota of Hattiesburg and I, I'm thankful uh, to the Pierce Automotive Group for giving me that opportunity. Um, I've, the Lord has allowed me to sell cars and also to minister to people, both coworkers, uh, my superiors at work, other customers, and I and I enjoy it. In fact, um, I hadn't worked there long until some of the young salesmen started calling me Pastor P and they kind of <laughs> stuck. So that's what I'm known as there. So um, I'm thankful for the opportunity, thankful for the Lord's opportunity. To work there for the opportunity Lord's given me and back to it you know most of my adult life I've been in quote unquote paid full time Christian ministry well now I'm not and to me it's also been a, a season of my life that I've always preached to others that you can live the Christian life Monday through Saturday in your secular job and I never had to actually do it and so mm-hmm. now I am doing it and it is interesting to see that it is I see the struggles other people may have had, but also at the same time that the Christian life is is real. <laughs> and and if, it's only, if it's only good on Sundays, it's not worth much and we're wasting our time. So that's it. Uh, I'm enjoying my job and been there, like I said, nine months this week.
2: And I'm your Rodan and Fields uh, girl here. I sell skincare and we are the number one premium skincare company in the United States the last four years in a row Um, um, the company is named Rodan and Fields which is after the doctors Katie Rodan and Kathy Fields and these are the doctors who are the discoverers of proactive and so they have a whole new skincare line I love it Um, never ever just like Philip saw myself doing this uh, this kind of just dropped in my lap, and the Lord is blessing me with this and helping me, and I'm being a help to my family in this, and I enjoy the community of it. Um, I have I have my own little team, and they are just excellent women, very supportive. Um, not just that, we we share our other things, our families, our struggles together, and we pray for each other and lift each other up. So that's just been a, kind of a sisterhood. We do have a couple of men in it, so it's kind of a me- mesh there. Uh, but So I, I really enjoy that. And then we also work a third job together. Like, we are Sign Dreamers of Hattiesburg, and we are a yard greeting company. So people um, get in touch with us, and we set up happy birthday signs with, with graphics and colors in their yards. Um,
0: and not just birthdays, no, but- anniversaries, graduations, graduation, anniversaries, music, baby
2: births, um, anyway. And we usually get up at about 4.30 in the mornings. And in the summer, I didn't mind, but it's been cold and rainy, <laughs> and we're doing it in, in in the winter, but we like celebrating good things with people, so and
0: the Lord's allowing me to do a good bit of preaching as well. So, so. and we have people in our home and we, we record podcasts with people <laughs> like Jonathan Burns. A lot of neat things the Lord's allowing us to do.
2: Yes,
1: where can they find you though uh, for the Rodan and Fields and for the Dry Sun Dreamers?
2: Okay, um, my Rodan and Fields um, page or link is W Rogers r-o-g-e-r-s dot my m-y-r-and-f dot com and then our sign dreamers just
0: just look us up on facebook would be the simplest way definitely sign dreamers of hattiesburg sign dreamers is a nationwide company and so when you when you google sign dreamers be specific add in of hattiesburg and you'll find us
2: Mm -hmm. or yeah they could look me up on facebook and send me a message i'm wendy allen rogers on facebook so correct yeah all
1: right well thank you guys so much i appreciate y'all appreciate y'all letting me interview y'all thank Thank you we We
2: enjoy you